I have the distinct privilege to um, coach a high school girls volleyball team at our local San Diego Academy. And uh, it allows me to listen in on conversations that take place. This particular week, I was just driving the, va the, the van as we were going uh, to a game, uh, about 40, 40 minutes. And um, I find it fascinating because I don't usually say a word, but there's a lot of talking that goes on. Uh, and it's a van full of girls, so you can imagine the kind of conversation that they're having. Uh, a lot of fun, uh, and uh, different things are going on. And I get to listen in and just sort of be a fly on the wall and, and think about um, what kinds of things they're going through, what kinds of things they're struggling with. And it's fascinating to listen, uh, and it reminds me of the time when I was in their shoes and what was, what was important to me, what was going through, the, through my mind. But one of the things that's really obvious, that's kind of different from the time when I was a kid, when I was a teenager is that today's teenagers are really anxious about the future. Um, if you're there in that season of your life, if you're in high school, uh, or if you have kids that are in high school, maybe you can agree. Today's young people are really anxious about the future. And oftentimes, they're uncertain about where they're headed and what they will do. Uh, for those in my generation, the plan was very simple. We were going to graduate, we are going to go to college, we are going to go military. There was a thing, it was laid out. But today's kids feel that there's so much pressure to make the right decision to pursue the right path that they're very, very nervous. So they have this major, it's actually a major in college called undecided. It's actually a major. Uh, didn't you know that? Yeah, uh, it didn't exist when I was around. You had to pick something. You had to choose this or that. You actually go and register to school with a major called undecided. We have given it a name. I'm not quite sure. We're not quite certain. And in talking with some of my friends, especially in this season of life, and I ask, one of the things that they come back to me is, I just don't want to make a mistake because I'm not sure. And they ask me the question, how do you know? Has anyone asked you that? How do you know what you're supposed to be doing? There's that word, supposed to be doing. How do you know what your purpose in life is? And it got me thinking. It got me wrestling. Do you know? Are you living out your purpose, whatever season of life that you're in? And how do you know that's your purpose? How do you know that's what you're supposed to be doing? It's an interesting question because we, once you get to a certain part of your life, uh, you live in this wheel that just kind of spins and spins. And oftentimes it spins so fast you don't even have time to ask the questions to reflect. But when you're in that season, in that high school season, in that early college season, it's the overwhelming question. What am I going to do with my life? And what am I supposed to be doing with my life? What is my purpose? Today I want to talk to you about that. I'm going to talk to you about that. In light of the story that we've been reading in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. This morning, uh, for first service, we started reading in the book of Mark. And uh, you could see the faces of people thinking, oh, thank goodness, we're getting out of Deuteronomy. Except that we read Jesus' quote of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, in the book of Mark. So I'm not going to fake you out. I'm just going to go right to it. Book of Mark, chapter 6. I mean, book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. 
book of Deuteronomy chapter 6 where we've been reading uh, God is speaking through Moses to the people of Israel as they're entering a new season in their existence and he lays out a blueprint and he lays out a map and he speaks about purpose because he's giving them direction you recall we read in chapter 6 verse 1 this is what it says uh, Moses speaks and he says these are the commands decrees that I'm giving you God, that God told me to teach you so that you would observe these in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess so that you and your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping these commandments and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly. In this land flown with milk and honey. They're about to cross over. We've been talking about it for a while. And as they're about to cross over and they're trying to understand their purpose, their reason, their mandate, here Moses gives them these last reminders, a refresher course. And if you read, if you have been reading Deuteronomy, it's so repetitive. Chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. It's the same thing over and over again. If you've been coming to church here, you're probably thinking the same thing. This pastor won't get off this text. Over and over and over. And I've been asking, why is it so important that Moses repeats this? And he does, over and over. Hear, O Israel, listen, obey, do not forget, remember, 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 listen, obey, do not forget, remember. Re why is it so important? Because he's trying to instill purpose. Purpose. And so he says this, chapter 6, verse 4, familiar now, it should be, we've been reading it for the last four weeks. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Okay, so remember that time when I taught you when to say amen? Right? Remember that time? Okay, well, we're going to practice that, all right? All right, I'll try again. <clears throat> Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Amen. There you go. Now, if you want to be really cool, you got to say it like Latinos. If you're Hispanic from a certain country, Amen. let me explain how it works. You say, ah, like big ah, not a. You say, ah, men. And at the very end, A-M-E-N, you add a G. There you go. All right? So if you want to be real cool, that's a ah, man. You put a little G on it, all right? That's when you want to, when you want to give a little oomph, that's a ah, man. with put a little G on it, all right? Okay. So when we read something that you feel like, okay, that's good, you just, that's how you say, ah, man. Okay? Just, I'm training you now, so get with it. Here we go. <clears throat> now. Moses speaks to the people of God and he's laying out purpose. He's laying out a map and he says, these are the important things. These commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts and press them on your children. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we'll see how you do. Here we go. Impress them on children. Talk about them when you sit at home and you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, and write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Okay, you're struggling with this. It's all right. It's all right. You don't have to force it. When it comes naturally, just amen, all right? But you don't have to you know, squeeze it out. Just let it come. Okay. So we've been talking about how essentially God is preparing them for this new season and this new role in their life. And he says, you got to get your house in order before we start taking up new territory, right? We talked about door frames. We said that God wants to reclaim that space, our house, our place, the place where we have dominion before he can lead us to new territory. And as they're preparing to cross this river, preparing to cross this Jordan, everything is going to change. And he's setting him up. 
But have you ever asked the question, why do they have to cross the river? Why are they going into this new land? Why don't they just settle on this side? Why not, why not go back to Egypt and take over Egypt? Why not? See, it's a fascinating story to me because as I've been wrestling with this, I've been asking myself, God, what are you really up to? Yes, you want me to get my house in order. Yes, you want me to remember you. And last week, specifically, we uncovered that what God is after between us and him is love, right? Okay, here we go. All right. What God really wants between us and him is love. There you go. We discovered last week as we were wrestling with the commandments, especially the first four, that what God is really after is not a, a relationship of oppression or just rules, but a relationship of love whereby we choose him as our one and only. We have this unique relationship of respect where we spend time with him. Yes, we've got that. But now that we found love, what are we going to do with it? <laughs> what are we going to do with it? See, one of the most significant baggage that we carried from our uh, spiritual forefathers, that the relationship with God was not about love, but it was about obligation. And last week, we were trying to release that baggage and say, we don't have to carry that anymore. God is not interested in simply enforcing the rules. God is not interested in creating a, a, a kind of atmosphere where you are constantly concerned with your standing with him, where you don't know one little misstep, one little mishap, and you could be out of favor. That's not the way God operates. In fact, his sole purpose here at this junction in relaying these things is to communicate over and over and over again that he loves his people. That's what he's after. And then he's training them to understand what love is and how to respond to his love. But if you look at the original promise that is being lived out in this moment, it has more to do, there's more to it than just the relationship between them and God. I'm going to read it to you. It's found in Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, uh, the promise is first uttered, and um, we've actually studied this a couple years ago, but you probably weren't here. So Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, this is what the Bible says. And the Lord said to Abram, leave your country and your people and your father's household and go to the land that I will show you. Here comes the promise. And I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. See, the original promise of the promised land promise was made to Abram before he was even Abraham. And God spoke to him and he said, I want you to leave everything that you know and I want you to go to this land that I will show you and when you get there, I'm going to make you into a great nation and I'm going to bless all peoples of the earth through you. So the original intent of the journey that now has taken hundreds of years was not solely for the purpose of blessing Abram or blessing Israel, but it was to bless all peoples of the earth. Think about that for just a second, because now we're wrestling with what this means for us. 
Okay? What this means for us. And why is God forcing us to read Deuteronomy over, at least me, over and over and over again? See, the original promise wasn't just that he would bless Abram, although that would be true. God was trying to establish a relationship, a uniqueness. I want to be your God, and you will be my special person, my special nation. I will make a nation, but I want to bless all peoples of the earth through you. See? His original intent was not simply for his people, but for all people. And I think the same is true for us, and we've got to figure it out. So now, hundreds of years later, they're on the cusp of crossing the Jordan. They're about to finally live this out, and, and Moses is reminding them, remember, remember that you're on this mission, on this purpose, to understand that God loves you, but because he loves you, he has chosen you. But now you're going to cross over to bless all peoples of the earth. Now, you know that's not exactly what it says in Deuteronomy, right? In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and 9, the Bible describes a rather gruesome scene where the people of God are going to enter Canaan and they're going to destroy and annihilate the inhabitants thereof. They're going to burn their stuff. They're going to tear down their temples. Uh, they're going to slaughter people. If, you, if you've read the rest of the story, that's just part of the plan. And at first glance, you think, well, how is God blessing those people if he's asking the Israelites to come in and destroy them? But it's a fascinating uh, um, conflict here in our thoughts because God is essentially passing judgment on the inhabitants of that land. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 4, the Bible says this, after the Lord your God has driven them out before you, do not say to yourself, God brought me here to take possession because of my righteousness. No, it is on account of the wickedness of those nations that God is going to drive them out. It is not because of your righteousness or your integrity. But it is because they are wicked. See, what God is doing in this land is that he's cleaning it out of wickedness. He's cleansing it out of wickedness. And instead, he is bringing in something different to the land. That's why it's so important that the Israelites understand their real purpose. And the real purpose isn't simply to be blessed themselves. But as they receive blessing, to then turn around and bring blessing to others. And the way God brings blessing is first, he casts out wickedness and replaces it with righteousness. Amen. Somebody, do. come on, somebody, somebody. He casts out wickedness and replaces it with righteousness. That was his promise. That's how he would bless all people. That he would take what's there and remove that and replace it. See, God has always been in the replacement business. We call it the reclaiming business. We call it the business of redemption. That has been his plan from day one. Y'all remember? When Adam and Eve chose to sin and not follow God's command, God said, well, this will be the consequences of your sin. But the Son of God said, no, I will go and I will reclaim them, redeem them to you. From very beginning, Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, the plan of God has always been to reclaim his beloved people, his beloved earth to himself. And ever since then, he's been in this purpose, in this plan. He's trying to reclaim. But we, 
citizens of earth keep running away from him. And by the time we find the story here in Deuteronomy, it's been hundreds and hundreds of years. And God's intention to reclaim has been lost on generations and generations of people, including his own people. But God's purpose remains. He sends the Israelites across the river to cast out wickedness and to replace it with righteousness. And he wants to do the same with you and me today. He is sending us across this metaphorical river into this new season to cast out wickedness and to replace it with righteousness. But now you're asking yourself, how are we going to do that exactly? And you know what God's answer is? Love. Love. It's actually rather simple. God reclaims with love. God redeems with love. God casts out wickedness with love. And God replaces it with righteousness through love. Everything that God does is motivated by his love. Because God is love, right? God is love. God is not a tyrant. God is not just rules. God is not an idea. God is not a crutch. God is love. It defines him. It's the essence of who he is. But the problem is, by the time you and I have arrived on this earth's history, is that we have been confused and told lies about love. And in our context, in our modern day and age, love is God. You know what that means? Whatever you love, you think that's right. Whatever you love, that's your God. That's the way our culture interprets life. Well, I love this. That makes it right. And I choose this because I love it. And that makes it justifiable. And that makes it right. But that's not the way God designed it. That is wickedness. That is essentially what we find in Canaan. Where people, nations, many different nations, were living out their own pleasures, whatever they wanted, whatever they saw fit, they organized life according to what they loved. And God says, I need to replace that. I need to replace that with myself. Love is not God. God is love. And now you and I are tasked with crossing this Jordan and representing this truth. So, Pastor, how exactly are we going to do that? Well, let's get on with it. Deuteronomy chapter 5. 
It's been there in black and white for hundreds and hundreds of years. Deuteronomy chapter 5. In the first few verses, we find the first four commandments. Remember? You have no other gods before me. Trust me. I want to have a one and only unique relationship. Number two, don't take, <clears throat> uh, you don't, don't make another idol. Don't mistake the gift for the giver. Number three, do not disrespect the name of God. Have a relationship of honor and respect. And number four, remember the Sabbath day. Keep your time appointments. Because time, I don't know if you've seen this commercial recently, but time is the most valuable thing we can give one another. Do you know that? It's the thing that is finite in supply. Our time. Verse 4, talk about understanding. But the next six, unpack our purpose, our mission in this Canaan, in this new season, in this new life. And it's going to sound rather old-fashioned, but it's actually revolutionary. Read it. Verse 10, chapter 5, verse 10. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 16. Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God commanded you so that you may live long and that it might go well with you in the land the Lord your God has given you. This is commandment number five. Honor your father and mother. And you know what's interesting? The moment I say that, internally, some of you groan. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Internally, you're like, ugh. Right? Now, some of you guys have, like, the best mom and the best dad in the world. I don't know. Some of you got lucky. But for many of us, our relationship with our parents is one of the most strained relationships that we have. For some reason, in our current context, and especially in our current culture, the father-mother-daughter-son relationship is one of the most strained ones that exists. There are some in this room who are in a non-speaking relationship with their mothers and fathers. You don't say amen to that. I know it's true. It's cool. And you shouldn't say amen to that. But it's just the truth. Why? Why is it so difficult? Why is this such a strained relationship? Oftentimes it's because we think they did something wrong to us. And that may be true. And yet here, as God is describing how to drive out wickedness and replacing it with righteousness, the very first thing he says is honor. Honor. He, he, he doesn't say respect specifically. He uses the word honor, which has to do with value in the original language. And when he uses it here in this command, he's trying to help us to understand that the way that we bring wickedness out of a situation and bring righteousness in is by placing the correct value on the correct things. And one of the first things he asks us in understanding what love is, is to value our parents. I want to suggest to you that it would also include those that are not your biological parents. My biological parents are deceased. But there are others in my life that serve as parents. And they're not necessarily blood-related. We have, as we've talked about here this summer, spiritual mothers and fathers. And God is saying here to bring wickedness out and righteousness in, you have to value 
and honor those that came before you. You know why that's so important? Because it's one of the things that God provided to protect you, to guard you, to clear the path for you. But nobody wants to hear that. This goes for adult children as well as teenage children. Look, I know, I sit in a van with a full of them every week. Last thing they want to hear is their mom calling or their dad calling. Because we believe that our, uh, we need to become independent and somehow we need to make decisions for ourselves. And that's all true in a certain respect. But God is saying here, I gave you the family system for a reason. It was meant to bless you and to protect you. And the only way you, you benefit from that is if you bring honor. Amen. Respect is earned. Honor is given. Big difference. Respect is earned. Honor is given. And some of you and some of us think that our parents should earn our respect, but God says, no, you honor. You know what God has convicted me of this week? I'll just be honest with you. Can, we, can, I, be, can I be honest with you all? Okay. See, in my mind, I'm thinking, I love my kids. They love me. They will honor me. And in my mind, I'm thinking someday when I'm older, they're going to honor me. But you know what? They're only going to treat me the way I treat my parents. You, you follow me here, right? They're going to learn how to treat me from the way I treat my parents. They're only going to honor me so much as they have watched me and learned how I'm honoring those that came before me. Could I expect any different? Honestly, friends. But don't our minds think, oh, no, it's going to be different for me. No, 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 my kids are going to be different. But all they're learning is what you and I are doing. And what we know from our own personal experience is that in the land of our families, in this new land of our families, sometimes what's really missing is this relationship of honor, where honest conversations can be had and where good advice can be given without judgment or rebellion. And if we want our kids someday to be in a position to receive the blessing of our experience, we must teach them by modeling how to honor those that came before us. That's the only way someday they will honor you and your counsel and wisdom. Think about it. That's how we bring righteousness into this land of wickedness. And friends, families, not just nuclear families, but extended families are so under duress in our day and age. They need to be reclaimed, redeemed, and God is sending you to do it. And me, think about it. It's such a difficult uh, thing to realize because our families are like minefields, right? You know what we're talking about. Our families are like explosive things. When we talk about our parents, when we talk about our uncles and our aunts and our cousins, some of us have such strained relationships. But God is essentially sending you to cross that river so you could bring blessing to that land. It's so much easier to think about blessing other people, to be honest. Let's be honest. Than to have to deal with our families. But that's why God says right there, honor your father and mother. 
We can bring real change, friends. We can bring real change. We can bring real reclamation if we would heed these words. Look at the next one. Thou shall not murder. Isn't there a more needed commandment this week in our nation? Right? Just yesterday, the kids and I were talking about the events that are taking place in Charlotte uh, this week, the shooting. Y'all know about that, right? The curfew. And, uh, and we were discussing how, where do these things come from? And, and is it just that the media is hyping them up? And then overnight, reports of another gunman in, in Washington, near Seattle, just shooting people. Why? When did it become so easy to just take the life of somebody else? Now, I know some news are sensationalized, but it's happening all over. At an alarming rate, that's the wickedness, the devaluing of life. And God is sending you and I, armed with love, to bring value to life. You know how we do that? You know how we do that? Not by removing guns, not by removing weapons, by thinking carefully about the things that you say and the attitudes that you have and the actions. that Are they bringing life or are they taking life? Do you build people up or do you put them down? Do you criticize and ridicule or do you encourage and nurture? See? God aims to reclaim. What would God want? Obviously, he doesn't want people to die. Obviously, he doesn't want to condemn and judge and put people. Obviously, he wants to build people up. But the agents of reclamation is you and me. And if you and I are not doing that, then the land remains wicked. And it just increases. Thou shall not commit adultery. Oh, boy. Oh boy. One of the myths I was discussing with my teenagers earlier is this idea that when it comes to sexuality, uh, there's no real wrong. It's like a, no one gets hurt. As long as you don't get caught or as long as it's consensual, no one gets hurt. But that's just not true. God created us in our sexuality in a way, in a path, in a pattern designed by him to bring life. Anything other takes away life. And some of y'all know that from first-hand experience. That's the wickedness that exists in our nation, in our land, in this side of the Jordan. And God is sending us over and he's saying, into that you bring love. You bring honesty. You bring faithfulness. You bring integrity. Into that land of wickedness, you bring transparency. Into that land where everything goes, you bring righteousness. You stand up and say, no, I will not dishonor my wife or my husband. No, I will not leave this curse for my family by cheating on my wife or my husband or even on my girlfriend or boyfriend. Think about it. It sounds archaic, but that is God's reclamation project. That you and I would reclaim this world towards God's vision of relationships. Thou shall not steal. 
Thou shalt not give false testimony against your neighbor. And like I told you before, my personal favorite, thou shalt not covet. <laughs> you know why that's my favorite? Because in some way, shape, or form, most of us can get away with saying we don't do the other ones. Well, I've never killed or I've never, well, no one's digging through your stuff to find the truth about you. But coveting is a matter of the heart. And that, the truth is, no one can know but you and God. See, everything that we do, every word that comes out of our mouth, every action, we must say, I don't know why I did that, but it was in our heart to begin with. And this commandment here, thou shalt not covet, has to do with us understanding that love begins in the heart. From the heart flows everything that you do and how you do it. So some people think that we're going to cross the river and do these acts and somehow as long as we uh, check these things off the list and we go feed the poor and we do, go to the food bank, we do these things that we will somehow reclaim. But God says, no, it is what's in your heart that will be communicated. So when he says you shall not covet, what he's actually saying is guard your heart, what's really in there. And friends, the only person that knows that is you. I'll never know, and you'll never know about me. Right? But what's inside of your heart is what God wants to use to change the world. Friends, do you believe we can make a difference? Do you think we can make a difference? Now, I know you're thinking, well, Charlotte is going to still happen. Washington's still going to happen. San Bernardino County is still out there. Yes, I know all that's true. And, and, and when you think about it that way, maybe you think, well, what can we do about it? But can you make a difference? I say to you today, absolutely yes. For that is your purpose. Not simply to be blessed by God, but to bless all peoples of the earth. And it starts right where you are this moment. Starts with the person sitting next to you, in front of you, behind you, across the aisle. It starts with us living out these truths and principles of what love really is. Listen, love can never be demanded. It can only be given, just like honor. It doesn't... Most of us think today that love is something that um, is conditional, that's why people say, well, you don't make me happy anymore, so I don't love you anymore. Let's, you all know Brad and Angelina broke up this, this week, right? Right? Like, everyone's devastated. Don't make me happy anymore. Irreconcilable differences. Because love, we've been sold this idea that it's conditional. That somehow, as long as you keep your end of the bargain, that, then I'll love you. But it's not that way. God sends us out to mirror his love for us. And we know this is how God loves us, that while we did not care for him, while we were still sinners, he paid for our mistakes. He sent his son to die for our sins. And he chose us, and he called us, and reclaimed us when there was nothing worth reclaiming. But now that he's redeemed us, he's saying, I want you to live the same way for all peoples of the earth not because they deserve it or because they'll earn it. It's because God loved you and he loves them. And you and I are his agents of reclamation. 
So now that we found love, what are we going to do with it? Just come to church. Come on up here, guys. Just come to church and sing and be blessed. And thank you, God, for blessing me. Thank you, God, for being good to me. Thank you, God, for answering my prayers. Is that it? God's promise and his intention was always to bless us in order that we might bless others. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then the second commandment is un like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says there's no greater than these two. It was always meant to be this way and this way. So which one are you selling short? Now that we found love... What are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with it? Are we just going to hang on to it? Keep it for ourselves? Or will you and I live out God's real purpose and change our world? One person, one relationship at a time. Would you please stand and sing with us our closing song?